Welcome to you. This is the Good Ancestor Podcast. My name is Lisa Renee Hall, and this is going to be a little different this time. You might be wondering, wait, 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 isn't Layla the one hosting this thing? Yes, she is, but tables have turned this time, where I will be interviewing Layla, and you'll get to hear from her about her journey and what it means to be a good ancestor from Layla's perspective. So I'm super excited because I get to interview my friend, my sister from another mister, my um, everything, just someone who's on this journey along with me. And I'm super excited to be able to give you the perspective from Layla's viewpoint. So Layla, you there? I'm here. I'm very Hello, excited. my friend. <laughs> Hi. So am I. So am I. I sat there yesterday um, as I was preparing for today, and um, which really holds no bearing as we're recording, whether it's today, yesterday. But anyways, I was sitting there like rehearsing all the questions, like, okay, this is what I'm going to ask Leah. This is what I'm going to ask. So I am excited. Yeah, I am too. So. For our listeners, I wanted to do something a little bit different uh, for the final episode of the very first season of Good Ancestor Podcast. And I thought it would be great to turn the tables, as Lisa said, um, and to bring someone in to interview me. And when I was thinking about who I wanted to interview me, I was like, I want to bring in someone who has been on the journey with me, knows me very well. Um, mm -hmm. knows what it's like behind the scenes, um, mm -hmm. is a kindred spirit and who will also bring the best out of me um, with her deep probing question asking. Um, and so I could not think of anyone better than my sister, Lisa Renee Hall. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for this. Um, and it's, I'm kind of nervous as well because I'm so <laughs> I'm so used to being like in the driver's seat for this. Um, and it's interesting not knowing, like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what the questions are. I don't know, you know, so I'm nervous, but very excited. And I know I'm in very good hands. Oh, thank you. Yes. And that's what's important. So yeah. Layla, for, mm -hmm. for if you're listening and you don't know, Layla is a writer. She's a speaker. She's a podcast host and racial justice advocate. And her work explores the intersections of race, spirituality, feminism, and leadership. She's author of the groundbreaking Me and White Supremacy Workbook, which is featured in Elle magazine. She's the host of this podcast, Good Ancestor Podcast, as well as the now retired Wild Mystic Woman Podcast. And aside from your bio, Layla, there's so much more depth and, and richness to who you are. And that's what we're going to explore now. So my first question to you is the question you ask your guests. And I'm now going to ask you that yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> Only makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Who are some of the ancestors, living or transitioned, familial or societal, who have influenced you on your journey? Mm. Yeah, it's so funny because I've never answered this question out loud. Um, so there are, yeah, there are family ancestors, both living 
and transitioned who are huge influence in my life. Both my, both of my parents are huge influences in my life. And both of my parents are also like, um, polar opposites, like hot and cold, um, (laughs) fire and air, um, you know, just, just very different personalities. And so in terms of my mother, what, um, the ways in which she has influenced me and the ways in which she, what she has passed down to me and what I've inherited from her, which has been so influential for me on my journey is, um, she has a really keen uh, sense of intuition and almost bordering on, um, like, like the, uh, what do you call it? Like this clear, clear sentience, clear audience, like that, that level. Mm -hmm. Um, she knows things without knowing why she knows them, that, that kind of level. Um, and so I'm highly intuitive, not to her level, but I think that's something that I will probably grow into, um, with age. Um, and, uh, she has, she, she's deeply caring, deeply caring, um, for the people around her, especially her children. And I can see that in the way that I mother as well. Um, they're my number one priority. Um, with my father, um, he has influenced me with his sense of leadership, his commitment to excellence, um, and the ways in which he does not let the world define who he is at all. Um, and I can remember from a really young age, you know, I grew up as a third culture kids. So my parents are from East Africa. My, my mother's from Zanzibar. My father's from Kenya. They are also, um, we also have Middle Eastern um, heritage from Oman because of the history between Oman and, and Zanzibar, which if you're interested in Googling that. <laughs> oh, I am. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm writing this down right now. Yes, there's a, there's a, there's a big history uh, between those two regions. And so I have family that live in East Africa, I have family that live in Oman, and then there are you know, some cousins and aunts and uncles like us who grew up in the UK. And some of my family still live in the UK. So I, I was born and grew up in a culture that was not the culture of my parents, um, but I was raised very much in a home where we were always, they tried really hard to create an environment where we knew what our culture was. Um, but it was odd growing up in the 80s in, in, in Wales, which is where I was born and, and grew up initially, um, because we were always the odd ones out. And I can remember from a really early age that my father was, he, and, he, and his job was that he, he works in the shipping industry, so he traveled all over the world. And he always said to me, I'm a citizen of the world. You can't, you know, he was never pinned down to, I'm an African, I'm British, I'm whatever. He's always said, I'm a citizen of the world. And so I have lived in all of these many different places, um, Wales, I've lived in uh, Tanzania, I've lived in uh, Swindon in England, and, and I live in Qatar. And in none of those places I, can I say, this is my home, the home where I belong. In every place, I'm always not quite fitting. Um, and as I've been on this journey of, inner healing and self-acceptance um his lessons come back to me a lot around i'm a citizen of the world and this idea that you there's no place where i don't fit 
there's no place where I don't belong. There's no place where I'm, where I'm not allowed to take up space. Um, and so he's really influenced me um, in that. And then from a um, sort of a non-familial uh, perspective, the ancestors who've really influenced me are, as you know, Lisa, largely uh, black women, feminist writers. Um, and I'll, mm-hmm. I could name a whole list, but I'm gonna just name three. Um, the first one being Audre Lorde, who I talk about a lot. Um, often. The, often. <laughs> I, I, you know, I find any opportunity to slip, <laughs> just to slip an Audre Lorde quote or idea into a conversation. It's always relevant. Um, her writings um, have been so influential for me and so healing for me as well. Um, the first book I read by her was Sister Outsider. And I remember reading through her essays and thinking she wrote this for me she must have Uh known that i was going to read this because there's no way that what i'm reading here can resonate so deeply with what i'm experiencing and even now anytime i'm going through a period in my life where i'm not feeling sure of myself i'm in a period of challenge or struggle um I don't know what to do next. I can flip to any essay of hers and find the words that I'm reaching for that will, that will anchor me. Um, and so she's a huge influence for me. The second one is Octavia Butler. It's the science, the science fiction writer who I'm really sad that I've now finished reading every book that she's ever written. Like, I know I can go back and read them again, but there's something in the reading it the first time, the way that she weaved different ideas together um, just blew my mind. And her, what really struck me with her is the, so many of the protagonists in her stories are uh, black women struggling with really big questions. And her, the first two books that I read for her from her were from the parable series. So the parable of the, Um, Sower and the Parable of the Talents and they were hugely influential in they were hugely influential in why I was able to do me and the me and white supremacy challenge and the me and white supremacy book Um, and I say that because prior to reading her work I was as you know Lisa doing engaged in this work around anti-racism but feeling really burnt out by it feeling very pessimistic negative Yes. Um, just not in a good place. And yes. when I read um, a, her books and, and this protagonist in it, whose name is Lauren Oya Olamina, who's so devoted throughout this entire story, and I won't give any spoilers, but through this entire saga <laughs> of this story of her life, she is dedicated to this vision of this idea that only she has received the vision of and everyone around her, she lives in a in a dystopian time. So everything's kind of gone uh, down the drain, you know, with everything is like, um, everything has crumbled in terms of society and the government and everything has crumbled. Um, and it's a really dystopian time. And so people are just trying to survive and she, her, her vision is beyond survival. It's, it's, it, her focus is on the next evolution of humanity. And um, that really changed something for me um, because here she was in a time where 
there's no reason to have hope or optimism that, that humanity would even make it. And she was so sure that not only will we make it, but we're going to go to our next level of evolution. And it's my job to gather the people and stay committed to the ideas so that we can get to that stage, whether it happens in my lifetime or not. And that was a huge shift for me because a question that we often get in this work of anti-racism is, do you think that we can eradicate racism and white supremacy in our lifetime? And I've always been like, uh, I don't, I mean, no, I don't, I don't. Right. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a lot that needs to be changed. Um, so much. So much. And so that is a very disheartening, <laughs> the disheartening thing to just, you know, to, to believe, but it, it feels like what is true for me. But in Lauren Oya Alamina, it was like for her, it didn't matter if it happened, whether she was alive or not. She just knew she had to do her part. Mm. And yeah. And so that was really influential in shifting and turning the tide for me on how I approach uh, my work. And then the last one is Maya Angelou, um, who I adore. Um, whose wisdom, again, I'll, I always come back to, who I named my daughter after my firstborn. Um, and she just, there's such a, first of all, she, she's, she had this incredible life, right? Where she did so many different things and never denied any aspect of it. Never was ashamed of it. Never, um, yeah, just there, there was no like a, apology for how she lived her life and the things that she decided to do and um i really it really calls to me the way that she really lived her life as a as an artist and um really wanted to express the full the fullness of her self-expression um and also you know so many of us are when I think of Maya Angelou, like she lived this long night life, but I also associate it. I also associate her with that kind of um, elder energy. Um, and she reminds me in many ways of my grandmother, who is another ancestor who, who has been a huge influence for me. So my maternal grandmother, who's the only ancestor who often comes to me in dreams. Um, and so I associate a kind of grandmotherly energy with, um, with Maya with my Angelou and there's a, even just thinking about her, I smile because there was a, there was a, she, she, she wasn't a, you know, spiritual bypasser. She wasn't like, everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, she, but so she told the truth, but she hung on to some level of faith and um, thinking uh, um, higher that when you do the kind of work that we do, um, I, I feel for me, it's necessary. I need it. Yes. Um, because the reality of the work that we do is that much of it is very hard, very heartbreaking, um, gives you reasons to not have faith in humanity. Um, and in order for it to be sustainable for me and in order for me to be, you know, there's many of us who are on this path, but be one of those people who are on this path, who are, who are 
not only telling people we need to do better, but also looking within myself constantly and seeing where are the places within myself where I, where I am not leaning on faith. What, what are the places within myself where I'm, um, uh, what's the word? Like where I am succumbing to kind of the, um, the negativity of humanity and not holding and not being a stand for what the possibilities are. Um, and so she, she is that pillar for me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I know, I know you've uh, recommended Octavia Butler to me many times because of our <laughs> yes. shared love of sci-fi. Uh -huh. And uh, I got her book. I haven't read it yet. Okay. But the more you talk about her, the more excited I become around reading her words. And as I look at your ancestors, aside from your father, your ancestors are women, mm. grandmother, mother, and then the three that you mentioned who are more your ideological or spiritual ancestors. How important is it in reclaiming the matriarch and the feminine amongst your ancestry? That's a really good question. Um, I, th I think for me, it has, a, it has been a huge part of um, my journey. It's been hugely important for me. Um, and I, and I want to, and I want to stress that I am speaking about for me, um, because that, you know, gender is, is a spectrum and we identify in all different kinds of ways. And so what it means to me personally is that it has been important for me to heal and I continue to heal what it has meant, um, both within my, uh, kind of family lineage, but also, uh, societal, um, structure and paradigms of what it means to be a woman and what I am quote unquote allowed to do and how I'm allowed to be and uh, what I'm allowed to have access to, how I'm allowed to express myself. Um, that has been a really huge part of my healing. Um, so many of the things that internally I'm continually working on are about exactly that. Um, and some of it comes from uh, my, my, my relationship with my mother. Um, some of it comes in, in terms of my relationship with other women, being in relationship with other women and that sisterhood wound. Um, uh, some of it comes uh, in relationship to what it means to show up as a leader, a person who's seen as a leader, who is also a woman. Um, and so it's been hugely important to me. Uh, what's interesting though, is that in my, um, in my family, as far as I know, the women in my family who I know of, um, have tended to be more, um, more focused on, on, on just family, right? Without, uh, and that's not a, that's not a judgment. That's just that's just what it is. And so when you said, um, uh, when you're looking at the ancestors that aside from my father, they're all women. And yet I have, I'm much more a reflection of my father wow. than I am of the women in my family, because he is someone who, um, is, is in that, you know, both like in his role, in his job, is in a position of leadership, but also in his family, is in a position of leadership and his society is a position of leadership. But I also wonder to the extent like, 
also in the times that my parents and my ancestors are coming up, like, and, and the culture that we come from, that that's Mm. kind of an expectation as well, that there, there were more these like clearly defined gender roles of what was accessible to the women and what was accessible to the men in my, in my family. So yeah, I, I see myself as kind of being in this really interesting space. And I think so many of us are where we are interrupting the lineage that came before us. And that's not to say that we are saying what came before us didn't matter or was bad or, you know, but there are so many of us, I think that we're in this point of time where we're seeing ourselves as kind of like the, the change makers. Um, because I think about, and I was thinking about this today, actually, I was thinking about my maternal grandmother and how she started having children very young. She had many children. And so, and, and she, and she, you know, is from Africa. Right. And so, um, what was accessible and available and expected for her at the time when she was coming up was different. Um, when it came to my mother, you know, my mother did work. Um, she's retired now. She did work, but her, she wasn't in a, um, uh, a kind of clear career. She worked many different jobs. Um, whereas my father is the breadwinner. And so his career was very consistent. And now we have me who I've just kind of like, I started off with a kind of, okay, I have my degree and I'm going to be in a, in a, in a job in a career. And then I've now broken all the rules where I'm doing this like completely different kind of work. Yes. Um, and so it makes, it gets me excited because it makes me think about my children and what, first of all, what technologies are going to be available to them that aren't now and how that's going to influence um, what is accessible and available to them. And I also think a lot about Maya, uh, my daughter, um, and, and about how from my, you know, my, from my grandmother to my mother to me to her, the, what the, the expectations are changing, the mothering changes along the line, right? What my grandmother Mm -hmm. taught my mother is different to what my mother taught me is different to what I'm teaching my daughter and so on. And so, yeah, I, I I think it's exciting to think about how, um, how things change through the, through the, you know, in this case, we're talking about the kind of the mother daughter line. Um, But also how some things change, stay the same. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, some things really do stay the same. And sometimes I look at her and I'm just like in her mannerisms and the things she's interested in. And I'm like, you're really like my mother in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) Both good or bad. Both right. Everything. Right. Um, and so it's, you know, going back to the question of this question around how important is, is this, this feminine woman healing? Um, it's, it's very important to me. It's very important because I know, as I said, just globally, you know, what messages women have received throughout the centuries. Um, and then culturally, the culture that I come from and the religious background that I come from, that there are sometimes some ideas that um, the way that they have been, um, I want to be very clear about this, when I talk about religious ideas, I'm talking about the ways in which they are sometimes um, interpreted 
and rather than what they are actually are mm -hmm. um, and how we have to be really aware of the ways that patriarchy comes into so many different aspects of our lives. Um, but I'm definitely still finding my way. I mean, I'm 35 years old. I feel like in the last five years, I've been through some massive growth and healing in my relationship with myself as a woman. And I'm like, I'm not even, you know, when you, you see, you see like women who are at like older in their forties, fifties and so on. And they're just mm. like, I'm at a stage of my life where I literally don't care what anyone thinks of me anymore. <laughs> yeah. That confidence at that age is just yeah. so admirable, but not, I, you know, I don't understand it when I didn't understand it when I was in my teens, my twenties and so mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. But as I approached that age, I'm like, I'm getting it. Yeah. 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 So I can feel myself stripping away, sort of metaphorically stripping away the constraints that have been in the way of that. Because I think at our core, that's who we are and that's how we're supposed to live. Um, and there, but there are so many things that we learn along the way from childhood into adulthood that, that mask that. And so I feel like I've been on this journey of unmasking. There's, um, there's a journey that I went through on, in unmasking. And when I came out of that, what I like to say is that I became, I had to become nobody to finally find me. Mm. And it was ugly. It was messy, unpacking all of that. And as people look at what you've done, you know, I'm looking at the timeline of all your successes where you had the viral post come out in August, 2017. Then a few months later, Instagram challenge, and we could say that went viral. Mm. Then around your birthday, you released the challenge as a workbook. Yeah. And that was November, 2018. And then there's this post that you put on, um, or that you publish on Instagram. That is one of my favorite. And I have which, it bookmarked. Really? When, which one is it? This is the one, it came out on, um, you published it on November 27, 2018. And you talk about exactly what you said before, where you're a citizen of the world, but home to no one or nowhere. Hmm. And this particular paragraph stands out. My self-definition self is not a form of resistance. Yeah. My self-definition is not a form of rebellion. The way I choose to define myself is not a reaction to what the outside world wants of me instead. It's a response to what God and my higher self calls me to do. Yeah. So as I look at the successes you've had, I know that along the way, there's been a lot of pain and a lot of healing that the Layla who shows up now is a result of the attention that you've spent on your healing. So I want to go deeper on that because there was a moment where I remember we were both on Facebook. There was um, your posts in January of 2018. Your posts got deleted both on Facebook and Instagram. And then when you came back after that, what I call verbicide of your words, there was another incident and that prompted you to go into healing. So if we look back at that time to now the launch of this Good Ancestor podcast, what did you do to prioritize your healing? What happened 
that caused you to put put you on this path of pleasure and prioritizing your pleasure and joy mm. i i can tell you what happened dr frantonia pollins happened <laughs> <laughs> episode i can't remember what of good ancestor podcast i introduced my mentor um but what really happened, you know, and, and she would, and she would agree with me in saying this, which is that, you know, she didn't do the work. I did the work. Right. Yes, um, yes. What really happened was that I, I realized I was in a bad place and that I needed help. Um, and that I had the humility and the um, vulnerability and the internal integrity to say, I need help. I am not in a good place. I'm not the me that I know I am. I'm not being the me who I know I am. And I can't figure out not just how to get back to her, but how to move forward now that I'm quote unquote awake, um, conscious of all of these different dynamics in this work. Um, and so I did the work, I, and, and I'm still doing the work. I've been working, I, you know, I, I, I went to uh, Dr. Frantoni and said, I need help. I need to work with you as your client. Um, and the reason why I chose her, it's really funny. She didn't have any, her website barely had any information up about her. Um, she wasn't marketing heavily or anything like that. And as she says in the, in the interview that I did with her, she was actually at a point of considering actually walking away from the coaching industry. Um, but I had seen her, I had been with her in a few um, sort of virtual conversations and the way that she was in her being, I could mm -hmm. sense was someone who um, was not like everyone else. And it wasn't because there was something just special about her that she was born that way. It wasn't that there seemed to be this deep, um, there seemed to be this light that was shining from the inside out. Yes. And um, I wanted to know what it was and I wanted it for myself. I didn't want to be her, but I wanted to be me the way that I saw her be herself. And, um, and so that's why I approached her and I, and I began working with her and she made me look at things that I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I need to work on this other stuff. And she was like, no, no, this is what you, this is what we need to look at. Um, and I was resistant <laughs> yes. at first and sometimes still am. And she'll tell you that. I mean, we, we've had, we've definitely had sessions this year where I've cried. Um, I've resisted, I've closed up, um, because it, the work is continuous and it's ongoing. Um, but I stay committed and what I am committed to is um, living in a place of integrity with myself because it's really easy, especially in the, on, in the online world, in the age of social media, it's really easy to construct an external image of someone who um, seems to have it together. Yes. But energy doesn't lie. Um, energy does not lie. And integrity is one of my highest values. Um, and so I could not, I, because, because of that, because I know that energy doesn't lie and that influence from my mother, you know, being able to read things, even though people are not saying it, 
I can read it. And so I'm like, I, I don't want to give off that vibe because I know within there's all kinds of other stuff going on. Um, and because of my commitment to integrity, to being, you know, with the influence of my father, being in a state of like excellence, not for other people, but for myself, that standard that I'm holding for myself. And then now this, this, um, this calling that I have answered to of doing this very public work with many thousands of people. Um, it's not just about me. It's about my children. It's about um, the people who are, who have opened up and said, I will be vulnerable and go to this place and do this work with you. Um, that I, that I'm really committed to my own um, inner work. And so what that has looked like has been, um, oof, what it has looked like is really challenging ideas and really being challenged on ideas of what I think I'm capable of. Um, really challenging the ways in which um, I have even as an adult, and I know many of us do this, there are, there are tactics that we learned as children to survive. Right. There are tactics that we learned in order to survive, whether it was surviving in our families or surviving at school, surviving, um, you know, just in society based on the identities that we have. There are tactics that we learned to survive that don't serve us as adults, but we don't know how else to be because we've done it for so long. And so my healing journey has been um, about really getting real about what those tactics are and how on the surface of it, it doesn't make sense why I do them because they seem like self-sabotage and they seem like they are putting me in pain um, but under the surface, they are serving a deeper um, intention, which is um, to keep to, for my survival, you know, what I think I need I, to survive and for my um, for me to feel OK. Um, and so it's a very painful process, you know, and I'm very humbled by it. And I'm often reminded how the people who are doing the work through me and white supremacy even though we're on very different journeys, the people who are doing that work are also doing a lot of stripping away. They're stripping away ideas and paradigms and conditioning that they just thought was true or they had never even thought to question. And that process of really looking at each part, interrogating it, letting it fall open to see it for what it is, the ugliness of it, and then deciding from there if you're gonna, you know, what are you gonna do about it? Um, it's just like the inner work that I'm doing on myself. And so I, that kind of remembering that really keeps me humble because it's like, if I'm gonna ask people to like go to this place within themselves and look at the stuff that they don't wanna look at, then I also have to be committed to doing that within myself as well. Um, that comes back to integrity comes back to integrity very much so um and you know <laughs> just to lighten the mood a little bit <laughs> because it sounds so heavy um, you know you also spoke about you know my commitment to pleasure right and yes. that is something that i learned from dr frantonio which is um as a black woman something that 
I was, you know, and we are not taught is ours by default uh, and that we have to fight for it or that we have to have it, but that it's a kind of F you to, mm-hmm. to, to um, patriarchy and white supremacy. Yes. And even that, you know, some, that's something that I've discussed a lot with Dr. Frantoni is how even that is in the, is, you know, my joy is resistance. My pleasure is resistance. Even that is in the language of warfare. Yes. And yes, it is. that doesn't feel very pleasurable or very joyful for me. And why does my joy have to be still rooted in its significance in white supremacy? Um, And so I got very intentional about if I'm doing something for me, if I'm prioritizing, prioritizing my joy, it has nothing to do with any systems of oppression. It's mine because I'm a human being and I, it's, and I'm worthy of it, period. You know, this reminds me of um, when I reached out to you about a situation I had with a patron in my community who had violated my boundary. And as I was, as you held space for me, as I was working through this through, one of the things that, um, that was a breakthrough for me was making a decision about my patron's choices without getting her reaction. Mm. In other words, being able to say, this is the path or this is a decision I'm going to make around this issue without waiting for an apology to come in from the patron or, or, or defense or whatever. And I remember you saying to me that sometimes we go into situations where we're, um, where we're armored up. Yeah. We're armored up. Like we're ready for battle. Yeah. And then every time we walk into situations where we're ready for battle, then it's like we're, we're in this fight all the time. But it's like um, this actor once said recently that if we're always on defense, then it robs us of our creativity. Yes. And so- I felt that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so how much of your creativity has been ignited as a result of moving into, uh, instead of, reacting all the time to what you're seeing people post um, in terms of your ideas and your viewpoints, um, instead moving into a place of reflection? I really love this question. And the reason why I love it is because when I first began um, talking about, um, you know, race and racism, um, the energy that was stoking my creativity was anger. Yes. And I was unapologetic about it. (laughs) Um, and I'm still unapologetic about it. Like it was necessary and it was time and it was, um, uh, paradigm shifting for many people. And it was very healing for me. Um, And and like it, sir. And, and, and like you say, anger has its place. Absolutely has its place. So I will never, um, deny that part of my journey. Um, where it became a problem for me though, was when two things. Firstly, I noticed that I wasn't, I got to a point where I wasn't using the anger, the anger was using me. Ooh. Um, 
it had gotten out of control, right? So there's a difference between like, if we, if we use as a metaphor, like for anger, fire, right? There's a mm -hmm. difference between me lighting a candle mm -hmm. versus the candle then burning the whole house down. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so first I was lighting candles, even like, you know, uh, you know, like fireplaces, and then suddenly the whole house was burning down. Right. Um, and then secondly, because I was in a state of constant anger, inevitably what happened was my anger then caused me to act unconsciously and I caused harm um, to other people. And, and that was not my, um, that's not me. No. And it wasn't ever what I would want. Um, and so that caused me to take pause and step back and say, you need to get yourself together because this is not okay. This is not sustainable for you. You're burning out and then you're also burning other people. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I have this really interesting relationship with anger where, and again, going back to that, idea of like healing as a woman like there's so many ways in which we are taught to um to not to not show anger and so it often shows up for me and i know i i've struggled with this throughout many years i struggled with depression and anxiety and i think that that was actually anger and i didn't know how to express it um and so the anger came and the anger brought all of this stuff and some of it was helpful and some of it was not. Um, and then I made the choice to actually step back from it all because I said, I'm not, in, I'm not actually in control of myself at this point. And this is not helpful to anybody. Um, and so I have moved into a more reflective space. And what that looks like for me is that I'm more intentional about how I will use my energy and when, how I will engage with other people and when, um, have very clear kind of internal boundaries, um, around if I see something happening out there on the internet streets, do I need to be involved? Like, do I need to, or can I just scroll on by? Does it do, is my voice necessary here? What does it add? And not only that, am I ready to hold, because um, you and I have talked about this both as writers, we know that words are things and they hold power. So if I use my words, if I use my words, am I ready to, to hold the responsibility of the consequences of what will happen if I use my words in that way? Yes. And and so oftentimes it's no, I don't, that's, I don't want what will come with that because I know what will come with it. Um, especially if, you know, when it's a volatile situation and it doesn't really directly involve me. And, and even sometimes when it does involve me, I'm like, you know what? You're trying to bring an energy to me that I am not looking for, that I am not consenting to, that I am not wanting to experience that I'm not wanting to bring then into my experience with my family because you know, it affects how I should then show up with my family. And so I just, I don't engage or I say no, or I do what I need to do to disengage from that. Um, yes. And what that has meant in terms of my creativity is that what I have noticed for myself is my creativity then becomes about not reacting my creativity is no longer a reaction to um, whatever happens to spontaneously come, 
come into my experience. Like just so just because yeah. I see something online doesn't mean my then my creativity then is stoked because of that from a place of like, I need to say something. Right. Or um, like when a white transformational leader with a huge platform behaves badly and lets their unconscious biases be seen. Right. I, you know, I used to be in that place where I'm like, ah, you did wrong. You did wrong. Right. Right. And, and I then, just want to make clear as well. Like for me, I don't see any issue with anybody being called out for something that they're doing. Right. Um, I don't ever want it to come across that just because I have chosen to show up differently in my work, that that means I judge other people who, who don't, who, who show exactly. up differently because we need, we need everything. We, we need, need all of it. And if someone yes, is doing do. something wrong, they should be called out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those who have the space energy and, and that's part of what they do, that's fine because right. the work needs the nuances. Well, not right. the nuances. It needs the, um, it needs the different ways in which people show up. Right. Um, My way isn't the right way. Your way isn't the right way. Exactly. Um, and at the same time, I think it's very important for each one of us to get clear for ourselves because we can only really be responsible for ourselves. So knowing what we know about what our values are, what our capacity is, what our, um, uh, the way that we best show up in the world is, we have the choice then to choose how we want to do whatever it, the work is that we're doing. Yes. Um, and so, so the shift in creativity for me has changed from reaction and being armored up and ready to jump in the fight to s stepping back more and listening more and sharing things when I have something that, sort of has downloaded for me from the divine, from God, or just arisen up from my spirit of something that I may be grappling with or something that I'm really passionate about, something that I think is really important to share and to get across. That's the space that I'm coming from more now. Um, and I find that, again, it's because of that shift that I'm able to do things like me and white supremacy, which hold space um, for tens of thousands of people to be able to do some really deep diving, important work. If I was still in my old uh, my, or my former mode of creativity, I would not have the capacity to do this. I simply wouldn't because I'd be pissed off every day. Every day. Every single day. And I can, tell, and I can tell you all who are listening that Though more than 70,000 people have downloaded me in white supremacy, though more than 100,000 people are in my Instagram community, I am not pissed off every day. <laughs> I'm pissed off rarely. And, it, and, 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 and when it happens is when I ignore my intuition, when I see that someone is engaging in a, their energy is funky, and I'm like, let me just give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they just... Anytime I do that and I try and sort of, you know, come from a place of patience and compassion and empathy and just give them a bit of space and they continue down the path that they're on, which is clearly to dig their heels in, clearly yes. to be disrespectful. And to antagonize. And to antagonize and to not listen. Those are the times when I'll get pissed off and then I'll have to step back. And I'm like, 
okay, lesson learned. <laughs> you knew you knew that was going to happen, and you ignored, and so that's 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 what you get back, right? Um, and so yes. it's just a, it's a reminder. But no, I'm. Um, I really, even in, in the master classes that I've been doing um, this year, as I've been putting the topics together and how I want to um, uh, teach, I'm also getting clear on my intention that I am not going to teach that for me, not, not for it. So I really want to be clear on this as well. This is not about pleasing the white gaze or any gaze, any person's gaze. This is how do I want to do my work? How do I want to feel when I do my work? And so I get clear within myself before I begin that the energy that I want to bring into this teaching is that I am coming from a place of being in deep love with myself first. Yes. And, that, and that my love is not a re my self love is not a reaction to your oppression. Wow. Wow, that's a word right there, sis. Right. And so if I am in deep love with myself and my deep love is not a reaction to your oppression, then I am in my full humanity when I show up to do my work, which means I can see you in your full humanity. Yes. Because, yes. I'm, because I'm imperfect, complex, still learning, still on my journey, I can see that you're complex, still learning, still on your journey. And so I do my work from that from that space right mm -hmm. that doesn't mm -hmm. mean again doesn't mean i don't have boundaries doesn't mean i bypass doesn't mean i suffer fools no you know me lisa you know like my boundaries are like very yes. firm yes and you don't have to signal them you don't have to you know put together a list and say these are my boundaries yeah which it's i just, did before because i didn't yeah, know how me to too. Be. yeah <laughs> i didn't know how to be boundaried without i didn't know how to be internally boundaried yes Yes. But because I've done the work, as you've said, been on this journey, continue to be on this journey, I know how to hold the internal boundaries in a much better way. It then has this ripple effect of because I'm showing up differently in relationship with myself. Like This is the work that I'm committing myself to, that I'm spending hours of my time talking about, writing about, you know, putting together and then teaching and giving my energy to. Why will I do that work from a place of pain? and anger and um and just like you know like that that kind of energy of like resistance and you know what i mean like i, I do that's not, that's not sustainable for me so because it's not sustainable for me i don't show up in that way and people yeah. on people externally may take it however they take it they may think well she's being soft or she's being this or she's being mm -hmm. you can take it however you want to take it it actually doesn't matter to me to explain to you or to explain to people that I'm showing up in this way because of this, yes. right? You can, it, people can interpret it however they want. What I know for me is that I'm doing it for me. And that's all that matters. Yes. And that's all that matters. And when we get to a place where our identity is not shaped by others or others' reactions, Mm -hmm. then that is one of the elements of becoming a good ancestor. I feel so. I feel so. And I, um, and I know that, you know, because we're human beings, we're always going to be, we're all, there's always going to be a level of caring about other people's judgments. 
I feel like that's just a part of being human um, because it's also a, a it's a survival uh, tactic that we as human beings can like we, we need to be with other people and so we we worry about you know how we come across and it's it's not it's it's automatic we don't even think about it um, however I think what we teach through our being as good ancestors what we teach through our being is how to care less um, about no let me rephrase that i think what we teach through our being is how to care more about what we think of ourselves than what other people think of us other people think of us yes yes so i see that time is creeping Ooh. up on us but i do have another question and it has to do with again back to boundaries um, I remember listening to a white woman, a coach, who did this video that she's since deleted, where she started the, the, the live by saying, I'm aware of my white privilege, but I'm tired of the conversation. <laughs> and so why is it? I mean, and, and we should all have boundaries. We should ha all have self-care practices. But why is it that white women should need to show up differently? than black women do when it comes to this work around unpacking white supremacy and disarming our inner white supremacists. Say that again. Why do they need to show up differently? Yeah. So sometimes, so what I'll see is that I will say what my boundaries are. I will mm. say what's important to me when it comes to doing this work around disarming my own inner oppression. Mm. And then a white woman will see that who follows me and say, yes, that's going to be for me as well. Uh, but it's causing harm. Right, right, right. And I think that comes from that woman or person not, still not seeing that there is a difference between you and her. Um, that the difference is though we both, um, though we both are impacted um, as women under, patri and under patriarchal, oppression and just sexist oppression we are in a completely different situation when it comes to racial or white supremacist oppression and so um to just wholesale say i see what lisa's doing i'm going to take that as my template completely disregards the fact that there is a power privilege um dynamic between you and her where the privilege that she holds as a white woman is at the expense of people who look like you and me. Yes. Um, which then goes to the question, well, does that mean she's not supposed to have any boundaries then? Right. Because I, th I feel like that's, what's really being asked. Exactly. Um, when, exactly. When, when, um, when they're challenged. And so, no, we all are supposed to have boundaries. That's part of being a healthy human being. And, and we still have to be aware of the fact that you have a privilege that we do not have. In the same way that I can't, um, because I'm a woman, and then see a woman who is uh, uh, a lesbian or a woman who is disabled, then try and say that we're having the same experience. 
Right. We're not having the same experience. I have straight privilege. I have able-bodied privilege. We're not having the same experience. Um, it would be, I would be severely lacking in consciousness, understanding, uh, self-awareness and empathy to imagine that I am having the same experience as experiences as someone um, who at different um, identity points has, uh, does not have the privileges that I have. And so that, you know, that really speaks to kind of the whole of what this work is, which is that it's not, it's not um, quote unquote black and white. It's not, <laughs> it's not this or that. It's not this binary thing where you're either in an oppressed group or you're not, you're either privileged or you're not. Um, you're either this or you're that. No, it depends. It depends on, you know, depending on your different identity, um, identities that you hold and then who you're in conversation with. Right. So if I'm, so for example, if I'm, uh, in relationship to a white woman, you know, we're both women, but, she, but she will have, uh, a white privilege that I do not have. But if I'm say with another black woman, but that black woman is, let's say disabled or that black woman is queer or trans, then I have privilege that she does not, she does not have. And so how can I, um, like, I get it. Like, there's this need to kind of like, well, can we just have clear cut lines for how things are? Because that would just make it really easy for me to understand when I'm being bad and when I'm being good. When I'm being nice and when I'm not, you know, but it's not even about that. It's about developing a more layered, complex, um, non-binary um, understanding and consciousness of um, of how the world works essentially. Um, and then, and then being flexible depending on what kind of situations that you're in. Absolutely. Um, to match up with what is the reality with the situation that I'm in right now, in the situation I'm in right now, there is a dynamic that that's between us where I have privilege. They don't. So that means the way that I show up, especially when it comes to things that may revolve around those identities, I have to be understanding of that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I know I've, I've been, I've kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when I've seen exactly what you're talking about happen. <laughs> yes. Um, because what I see it as is um, a way to um, keep things as they are, essentially. I'm not going to engage with this. I'm going to have these boundaries that I see a black woman has. I'm going to take what she does, use it as my template, and that's going to protect me from having to actually engage in the work. Wow. And it keeps things as they are. It does. It keeps us in this thinking, this binary thinking that you spoke of, and which is either or. When it's a, when it really, once you start doing this work, especially the inner work, and start your own healing, you begin to see that it's both and. Mm -hmm. that it can exist this way and it can exist this way. Yeah. That there is no one right answer that applies the same in every situation. Um, and that we're also like figuring it out as we go along as well, which means we're going to make mistakes and 
we're going to do things that we're not, we were not intending. And, and also that we get to like learn and grow and change the same way you and I have Lisa. Yes. As exactly as we've talked about on this journey, the way that we were when we first started this work versus the way that we show up now, we were talking about this the other day, right? We were saying, exactly. Can you imagine like what, this time last year, we couldn't have imagined that we no. would be showing up in this completely different way. This yeah. time next year, like what will we, you know, what will we have learned about ourselves and that will have evolved and that we will be showing up in a different, we don't even know what that is. Um, I have no idea. Have no idea. So I think part of the inner work and the inner healing is coming to a place within ourselves of self-compassion. And uh, for me, a huge one has also been um, self-redemption that I don't cancel myself. That's right. That's right. And um, one of and one of my aims is not to operate like my oppressor. Mm-hmm. And anytime I start to see the lack of compassion, the lack of self-love, the the inflexibility, that's when I know, hey, let's stop here, Lisa. Let's go a little deeper. Let's do some self-reflection and see what's going on. Right. Right. Because it's, it's that question again, like, is, is my, am I using my anger or is my anger using me? And then just being honest with yourself. Just because, being no, honest. because no one can tell you what that is. Like, I, you know, and this is what, I, this is why I get really, I always like really want to clarify anytime I'm talking about how other people show up or how, if you're seeing someone, especially with, especially with the stereotypes that exist um, around black women and anger, Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. to show up angry if I want to. And that does mm-hmm. not mean that I get to have a stereotype put on me. That's right. Right. But no one knows except you really, you telling yourself the truth. You, no one knows whether you are using your anger or your anger is using you. Only mm-hmm. you get to know what that is and you don't have to explain it to anyone. You just need to get real with yourself and then do what you want to do from that space. Yes. You don't owe anyone an explanation. No one owes me an explanation for if they show up angry, if they show up. You don't owe me an explanation. You're a sovereign being. I'm a sovereign being. Um, And that's the space that I'm wanting to operate from for myself. So if I'm saying I want to live in a world where I know I'm a sovereign being and I want other people to treat me as if I am a sovereign being. Yes, yes then I have to act like I know that that's true. And then I also have to give people the same treatment that I'm asking for in return. Beautiful. That's my philosophy as well. Mm. That's my philosophy as well. And uh, each of us has to work towards becoming anti-fragile. <laughs> in the, in the different ways, right? In a different ways, right. yes. <laughs> and I often think about you know, again, like lessons I'm passing down to my children. So there, sometimes there may be ways in which I'm acting that I feel very justified in the way that I'm acting in that way right now. But if you were to ask me, so is that a tactic you would teach your children then as a, you would say that that's the way you would want them to act. And I'm like, uh, actually, no, (laughs) that's often a good sign that though I feel very self-justified in the moment. Yes. Um, what I would want to pass down for them might be something different. Um, so that's a way for me to get honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then my next generation is my niece, mm-hmm. who at the time of this recording is five years old. 
And I look to her and I say to myself, you know, what can I do to be a good ancestor? Yeah, you because you are. My, because I am. Mm -hmm. And my niece is the seventh generation removed from our um, white European slave owning ancestors. Mm. So, you know, I'm doing my work. My niece is the seventh generation removed, but now, you know, accepting both the, the sins and the, <laughs> the sins of the patriarch, the sins of the matriarch, as, as well as what they had to do. And in looking forward, now I'm the first generation of this new batch yeah. because I've done my healing yeah. and continue to put my healing first. Yes. So the question I want to leave you with is the question you ask all your guests mm. when you end the interview. And it's this, what does it mean to you to be a good ancestor? <laughs> I, I, I don't like being on the opposite end. Of <laughs> I know. That's why this is so delicious and juicy. Because <laughs> I could write a whole book um, and probably will at some point yes. about this, uh, this topic. Um, I'll try and sum this up in the, in the most succinct way uh, for me. What it means to me to be a good ancestor is understanding that I have been brought to this world in this time, in this space, in this body, to this family for a reason. That my existence matters that my being and my doing matter, that they are not, uh, that my being and, and doing are not inconsequential, that they don't have an impact, that they don't have an effect, that I understand that everything I do has an impact. And so what it means to me to be a good ancestor is to live with that sense of consciousness that how I be and do in the world impacts my children, first of all, who I am the first ancestors, uh, ancestor to my children's children and their children's children. And then people who are impacted by creative works that I put out into the world as a, as a creative, as an artist, as a, as a, um, a thinker and a, and a, you know, whatever you want to, you know, whatever names you want to put around that, um, as someone putting work out into the world, that work has an impact on others. And so consciously thinking about what is the impact that I want that to have on the world? What is the energy that I want to infuse into that? And how can whatever I put out into the world in some way inspire, educate, and activate those who are interacting with it? What it means to me to be a good ancestor is understanding that Mm. it's not about being perfect. It's not about being a perfect ancestor. It's about being good. And what me, being good means to me is doing, doing my inner work, healing, healing the parts that are hurt and, 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 and broken and fragmented so that I can be good and so that my goodness can have a ripple effect out in the world. Phew. Hmm. Wow. Thanks, sis. Thank you. Thank you so much um, for such an incredible conversation. 
Um, we could keep going. We could keep we going. We could so keep going. I just, <laughs> and I just, because this is our very last episode of season one, um, I feel very honored that you were the, that we had you on um, to, yes. <laughs> to do this. It feels very special to me that it was you to help me close it. And I just want to say to every single one of my listeners that I appreciate you so much. I'm so thankful um, to you for all the reviews and all the listens and all the ways in which you engage with these conversations and make this podcast podcast part of your um, you know weekly rituals and really allow these conversations to to move you and to to activate something within you and I also want to say a big thank you to every single guest that we've had on this podcast um, who has gone to deep places with me, really intimate places with me um, and, and allowed me to share their brilliance with the world. So I'm deeply thankful and uh, I can't wait to come back and share season two with you and it's ready. Thank you. And thank you for asking me to join you. And um, yeah, thank you. I, I was honored and, and giddy and excited. So <laughs> thank you so much for trusting me with, um, with your wisdom and with the information that you wanted to share and with your story. My name is Lisa Renee Hall, and I was in conversation with Leila F. Saad the host of the Good Ancestor podcast. And here's to you becoming a good ancestor. <laughs>